Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week is a fun one. This week we get to hear from the man himself, Art Alexakis of Everclear. Now, I think pretty much everyone remembers Everclear. They were one of the bigger bands of the 90s, in fact. Tons of hits like this one right here, Everything to Everyone. There was, of course, Santa Monica, Father of Mine, One Hit Wonder, AM Radio. There were tons of them. Well, around the 2000s, things started to dry up, as they did for most bands of that era. They do for everybody, you know? All these bands, no matter who they are, their story has an arc to it, and art, art's no different. But his bit, he was a big personality, and he was kind of one of the faces of 90s music. I mean, when you think back to that period, you think of guys like Art. You know, the bleached hair and the tattoos and the, and the, the songs and the grunginess and the poppiness. That was so him. Well, they're still out there making music, or at least Art is. In 2015, Everclear put out what I think is one of their strongest albums called Black is the New Black. And then just recently, a couple of months ago, he put out his first ever solo album called Sun Stories. And it's very different. It's, uh, it's all acoustic, and it's all him. We talk about all that in here. We talk about, you know, kind of how he found his sound. If you, if you think about it, there's a, not all of it, but there's a certain sort of sound to an Everclear song. And uh, I was curious where that sound or that, that intention came from. Uh, we talk about, you know, the high highs and the low lows. We talk about meeting people like the Rolling Stones. We talk about the time he was on the Bill O'Reilly Factor. Um, anyway, there's a little bit of everything in here. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this. I'm pretty proud of myself because when we got on the phone, he said he had never talked to anyone for an hour before, even though that's what was set up, including uh, Rolling Stone magazine. But guess what? We got him for an hour. So anyway, I think this uh, this uh, conversation is a blast. I think you will too. He called me from his home in Southern California. Well, uh, so for starters, I've always wanted to ask you about this art. I've seen you guys. I've seen Everclear in concert twice, and both of them those times were under sort of unique circumstances. The first time would have been, I guess, '96 uh, or so when uh, so much for the Afterglow came out, and you played. I I went to college at BYU in Utah, and you guys played a Borders, a free show at Borders on like the first, you know, um, day one, release day of the album. And me and my roommates yeah. drove up to wherever it was to watch you to watch you play at the Borders. Do you remember this? Yeah, it was an in-store. It was the in-store performance at the Borders. It was the biggest one we ever had up to that day. That was like yeah. six hundred and fifty people. It was huge. And, uh, but it was ninety. It was ninety-seven, not ninety-six. It was October of ninety-seven. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was about this. It was about this time of year, like uh, like mid to late October because the record came out uh, the 7th of October 1997. Okay. That's it. Yeah, okay. I couldn't remember. And I, it was near the beginning of the school year and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, my buddies and I drove yeah. up. We saw you in that. That was so great. And then the other time is even more unique. So a few years ago, this would have been, I don't even know, maybe 13 years ago, my wife wins a contest. And the, and the winner gets flown to San Francisco to go see the Rolling Stones at Pac Bell Park. And we, ah. there's, their stage is set up in such a way where the people who win this contest get to stand on the stage. <clears throat> so we go to the, sh we win this contest and we're out there. And no, you know, the Stones are always secretive about who their opening acts are. And um, we start hearing this buzz that it might be Metallica. 
So the, the lights go down, but instead of Metallica comes on, but before Metallica, it's you guys. You guys come out and do this killer show at Pac Bell. Do you remember this too? Oh, we played two shows. It was November of 19, excuse me, November of 2005. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was the first couple of weeks of November of 2005. Actually, okay. And that was later because we didn't get home. We had just did a tour of uh, bases in Japan and and Hawaii, and we got we got home right around Halloween, and so so yeah, it would have been like after that. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, man. How did you? How yeah, did you even get attached to that? Yeah. Huh? How did you? How did you even get attached to that bill? Mick Jagger's daughter is a huge fan, and I met Mick years before. He came up to me at an MTV thing, and he was a, he he had become a fan through one of his daughters, one of his many daughters, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> he uh, was uh, they they asked us to do it, and it really pissed off a lot of bands. I remember. A lot of agents are like, you know, a lot of big bands wanted that those, yeah. those shows, and they didn't pay very well. It wasn't. It was like, you know, I mean, they gave us a half hour, and we went on before Metallica, but and we only went on to like a half half mm -hmm. the house, but half the fucking house was thirty five thousand people. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, and, and dig this: they made even though we played both shows. We had to buy our own tickets to see the show. What? What? <laughs> Swear to God. The, I mean, the, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, we've been together since uh, 2004. But, you know, she 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 came with me, and we we got tickets. And it was cool because, you know, we're in the middle of the, 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 the uh, infield, I guess, like uh -huh. I don't know, around second base or something. And... If you remember, the stage breaks off and goes to out into the outfield. Yeah. And they played, remember, and they played, like, Satisfaction and the mm -hmm. old 60s hits and stuff like that. Yeah. And they were about 20 feet away from us. And uh -huh. I swear to God, I started fangirling like a little boy. <laughs> and I, I know these guys. I've met these guys. But uh -huh. seeing the Rolling Stones 15 feet away from me, I'm just like, <laughs> like seriously like a little girl and yeah. and when i when i screamed keith it's like he looked at me right at me and flicked the guitar pick really i lost my mind yeah and it like i saw it in the lights and i lost it in the lights but i know it came over near me and guys like grown men from other aisles were trying to come into my aisle and dude i almost got into a fucking fist fight i'm like i pushed this guy I go, get the fuck out of my, this is my row. It's my pick. I mean, seriously turned into like hunter, hunter gathering, like subhuman. And then my, my, my wife goes, baby, look. And I swear to God, she caught it in her boobs. In her what? Boobs, in her shirt. <laughs> yes. Swear, swear to God, we still got it in a snow globe in, on our mantle. And, and the next next night we took a picture and she told that story to, to Keith. He goes, yeah, I did it on purpose. Yeah. Oh, that is so rock and roll. It is exactly what you want to hear. I yeah. love it. Yeah, it was awesome. And the, and, and the first night, it's, it's like their manager comes up to us and goes, 
and he's got this like really bad fake English accent. Mm. I, I, I'll lay money. He was like from like fucking Oklahoma or something. And he's like, okay, lad, blah, blah, blah. He sounds like Dick Van Dyke. Right. <laughs> and he's like, don't do a stone song. Just don't fucking do it. People want to do it. And the guys hate it. Don't fucking do it. And he pokes me in the chest. I'm just <laughs> like, really? Really? Okay. All right, guys. All right, cool. All right. Hey, guys, come here. Check this out. And I, I, taught, I taught them just the chorus from Far Away Eyes. <laughs> and, and we nice. fucking did it in front of 40,000 people. And the next night I did it again. And I, I saw that guy, like, giving me the stink eye. And I'm just like, I'm looking at him like, fuck you, what? Yeah. <laughs> really? Fuck you. That is the and, best. And, uh, and and the next time when we're taking pictures with Mick goes, oh, man, I love the harmonies on Far Away Eyes. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm like, I kept looking for that guy. I, I really want to tell that guy to go fuck himself. Where did he go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so great. That's funny, man. Your, your yeah. girl won, the, won, won, won a trip, man. She that's did. Cool. Yeah, she entered some contest somewhere, and we won. And they were ushering all the people backstage to climb up because it was like this tiered thing on the stage. And I'll never forget it. We go in the back and there's Ben Roethlisberger and Larry Walker. The I'm from Colorado. So he's a big deal on the Colorado Rockies baseball team. And those guys are standing back there with bandanas on drinking beer. And uh, they put us up, you know, we get on the stage, but this tiered thing, there's hundreds of people there and it's really difficult to see. You have to kind of fight for position on the tier so you can look over and watch the band. And we eventually were like, this kind of sucks. Is there anything else? And they put us down on like the 12th row. And uh, and you were and that that path that that they walked down into the middle of the outfield, that was like right next to us. So I same as you, Keith and Mick are just walking right past me. You know what I mean? I'm just screaming my lungs out. It was so great. So it's, I was curious it's about the it, what's it's, it's the Rolling fucking Stones, yeah. dude. You just, yeah. So, I mean, I've seen them in my life three or four times. My oldest sister went to the Tammy show at Santa Monica, no. Santa Monica Civic. She was at the Tammy show. My mom no. drove her there. And wow. I, I, I don't remember. I was three years old. It was 65, <laughs> right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But, you know. My my well, my whole family we were going to Sam Samuel High, which is right next to the Civic Auditorium. So, yeah, I mean that is wild. The, the, sto the Stones and the Beatles go deep in me, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. people are like, I always thought the whole Stones versus Beatles thing is retarded. I'm like, why could how could you not love both? Exactly. It's, it's apples and oranges, literally. It's stupid. Yeah, not I agree. Thing. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was going to mention this later, but while we're talking about music, you actually turned me on to a band that's become one of my favorite bands. And I can't remember. I think I have a vague memory of this. You tell me if I'm wrong. There are two things. I read some snippet from you. I think it was in Rolling Stone or maybe Blender or Spin or whatever. And if I remember correctly, at the end of whatever year it was, your favorite album of that year was uh, Massive Attack's Mezzanine. Does this ring a bell? It wasn't my favorite, but it was one of my favorites. Okay, I think it made my top ten. That's, yes, for, for that kind of for that kind of music, and at that time, a mezzanine. Still to this day, I still listen to that record. 
Me too. That's like record. one of my all-time favorite yeah. albums. And I remember you saying that and be like, ooh, I gotta, I gotta check this out. So I have you to thank for that one. And then somewhere else, and I don't remember, again, which magazine I read this in, I, it was a, I think they were going to artists like you asking what your favorite songs were or something like that. And if I remember correctly, you recommended Vapor Trail by Ride. Does this sound familiar? No, not no? me. No, do you remember that I song? Ride do you even know what band, I'm talking about? The band, the band Ride? Yeah, Ride. Like Ride a Horse? I don't yeah. know that band. Oh, they're but like I a shoegazer British does... band from the early 90s. Oh, no, no, no. That was okay. me. Okay. okay. Yeah, that one did. Oh, I could have sworn that was you, and, I th and I've loved that song ever since. Okay, okay. Um, well, good, yeah. So I wanted to say thank you for uh, validating my love of Massive Attack, because they're one of my all-time favorites now. Um, yeah, you know their turn again. I do. Well, I got a story for that one, too. Yeah. Some friends and I, they were going to play L.A. They were going to play Mezzanine all the way through on, like, the 25th anniversary or whatever it is. Yeah, and, that's, what I, that's what I heard. Yeah, and so me and some, some buddies who live down there, we arranged to have this reunion. And so there's five of us, and we all fly in from all over the country to go to the show. And the week before, they postpone it. And we've already bought our airfare. And, the, and so we wow. all go down there for the weekend, but we don't have a show to go to. And they reschedule it to couple months ago but by then we it was the middle of the week and we all have jobs and it just didn't work out i was so disappointed but yeah they're the best uh, um sorry to hear that yeah it's okay so anyway okay so let's talk about your new solo album and uh sun songs and it's great and it's kind of acoustic-y and i was curious why when you're sort of the main guy in everclear Anyway, what's the difference in your mind between an Everclear album and a, and a solo album? Not a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> um, really. I mean, the, the thing, that's why I, I took so long to do one. Mm. Uh, but I mean, this is, what makes this album different is it's me playing every song. I don't have anyone in the studio to bounce ideas off. Um, not that I listen to anyone anyway, but you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it looks good on paper, but <laughs> but seriously, I, I'm joking. I, I mean, it really does. There's not, there's no, there's no going back and forth. There's one guy, my friend Stewart, who's the engineer producer, and he co-produced it with me, and, and it was just us over a year. We'd come in once or twice a week mm. when we around our other gigs, and and we made this thing just slowly happen. And it's all acoustic. I've never mm -hmm. done that before. And I've never had my voice that loud in the mix before, so mm -hmm. that was really scary to me. So mm -hmm. there's, there's, I, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of aspects of this to make it more of a solo record, and, and you know, I mean, yeah, and mm -hmm. it's there's no big guitars, there's no electric, no. anything on this record. Yeah, and uh, I've never done that before. So. Yeah, I really like House with a Pool. Friends wanna come home to a house with a pool. Guys in the 40s wanna live with their moms in a house with a pool. Even if they don't know why, they still need a reason for what they do. Everybody wants a house with a pool. Come and let them die with me my sky.
impossible worlds Want a house with a pool People who lived in a Section 8 apartment that's a great song. I like the whole thing, but um, that song in particular. And yeah, I, you know, in because I've just been digesting as much Everclear as I could poss to get ready to listen, to talk to you. And uh, I was thinking, you know, art reminds me in a certain way of Johnny Cash. Because whenever you listen to Johnny Cash, you can count on that train coming up around the bend, boom, chicka, boom kind of sound. And whenever you listen to Everclear, you can count on that sort of chunka, chunka guitar licks you know what i mean like the beginning of santa monica staccato. yeah that staccato sound and i remember when i heard santa monica just thinking boy i've never heard anything quite like this before i am still living with your ghost lonely and dreaming of the west coast i don't want to be your that's the Everclear way that's that's you know most of the songs have at their bones have some kind of like staccato chunka chunka what is that caught are you conscious of that is that like how you like to write how come you do that I think so um no and to be honest with you if you listen to the whole to all my songs I'd say about a third of them have true, that true um, true but no I, I do I do like that I find that exciting because I like to hear other things in the spaces between the big guitars mm. you know i like to hear the drums and i like to hear vocals when with, with with them without the guitars and the bass and how it juxtapositions between it and how it it just it makes everything kind of undulate and move mm -hmm. so yeah i like that feeling and i i do use that a lot yeah um one I think I gotta be honest. I think maybe my favorite Everclear album is the most recent one, "Black Is the New Black," and I noticed that it's not as prevalent necessarily in there. That album kind of, like I was thinking, you know, the Edge, you two's the Edge, wouldn't necessarily have a place in Everclear because he's he always plays these soaring chords and melodies. You know what I mean? But there's a lot going on in "Black Is the New Black." That's a really great album. Did you set out to do something differently? Yeah, man. I'm. We're we, you know, I was doing the Summerland tour and we were on the side of the stage and Filter played and Sponge played and then Live played and, you know, we were playing and it was all just guitar rock band. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being on the side of the stage and I was just in the mood to start writing and I had already written mm -hmm. some riffs and stuff. I just told my bass player, Freddie, I go, dude, I want to make a fucking rock record. Just mm -hmm. a fucking balls to the wall yeah. rock record. You know, not metal, not punk, a little bit of everything, 
just Everclear rock and roll. I want yeah. it to sound contemporary, but I want it to have a very classic riff rock kind of feel to it. And uh, uh, I met some guys through the live guys, the guys from the band mm-hmm. live, and uh, they let me record it in their studio and live there. And they've got rooms and a gourmet kitchen mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And they only charged me like five grand. And I mean, I, and then I paid these guys that worked with them were these indie metal guys who do mm. a lot of metal and I did a demo with them uh, of one song and that actual song made the record I think we just put the drum changed the drums and the bass out but my lead um, Man Who Broke His Own Heart my lead and my vocal pretty much stayed the same you know uh, from the demo I know you wanna be my almost instant karma And uh, it's just, and, and we went and recorded for two weeks and uh, came back, did guitars, vocals, and then left for a while, a month, came back, recorded some more, and then mixed it and did it in about, I'd say about eight months, seven, eight mm. months. That was the quickest album up we've ever done, mm. I've ever done. A lot of people have told me that that's one of their favorites, if not yeah. their favorite, ever record. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Thank you for saying that. I, I'm proud of it. I think it's pretty... Uh, there's no cringe factor with that record. No, know? no. It's, that's it's, that's uh, well said. It's, it's, it's balls to the wall. All it the is. There's no ballad. It is. And I'm big on track ones. And Sugar Noise is killer. Yeah. Right out of the gate. You know what I mean? Just announces that you're going to rock on this album.
Yeah, it's riff rock, dude. It's, I it like, is. I had never done a song with a single note riff rock, and I've been wanting to. Because, you know, I grew up with Zeppelin and Jimi yeah. Hendrix and shit like that. And I'd never done that, because that's yeah. not really punk rock. But I just, I got that riff, and then my drummer at the time started playing, and he played not on the two and the four, he played on the offbeat. Mm. And I'm like, that's so fucked up, I love it. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Let's do that again. He's like, oh, I got it. He goes, I started in the wrong place. I go, no, you didn't. That was the right place. <laughs> do that again. Yeah. So it just has this careening, like this big behemoth, like yeah. mastodon. Like It's like a friend of mine called it a drunk mastodon is what it sounds like. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Now you, okay, so you, I wanted to mention this. Uh, I was curious. when I, I remember when you guys sort of hit the, you know, national radar and you were older, you know, you, I think you were 30 or in your near there anyway, older than the rest of the young I grungy. I was, I was, dude, I was 32 when we got signed. That's what, and I was yeah. 30, 33 when we broke. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. You were old, but you know, all these other bands that are your contemporaries back then, they're not 33, they're 23. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know, and I know I, Capitol, Capitol tried to get me to lie about my age, and I told him no. <laughs> really? I mean, they had a full-on meeting with, like, VPs and shit. <laughs> and we think you should tell everybody. We want you to, oh, we've all agreed, you, you should tell people you're 24. And we just want to make sure you're okay with that. And I'm like, I'm not remotely okay with that. <laughs> well, what age would you like to tell people you are I'm my age? Uh, I'm 32. <laughs> Fuck you. I got a kid. Yeah, I mean, really? I mean, what uh, year is this? You know? Yeah. Did you not look at my contract where it says I have total creative control? Oh, and I wow. plan on using Good it? for you. So, Good for you. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Because when you came on the scene, part of the story, as you were, you know, you're in these marketing meetings about your age, but part of the story that was coming out there was that art has had a really rough life. <laughs> you know, a broken childhood, um, he, he's finally now sort of making it. He's clean and sober. He's got his life together. He's got a kid. I think he may have even been married at the time. And this is his victory lap after years of abuse or whatever. He's now cleaned himself up. That was what I took from all of that. Do you, you know what I mean? Was that accurate? I'm still doing the victory lap. When am I supposed to stop? Let me know. I'm still, I'm still swimming, dude. I didn't know. No one told Good point. me. Yeah, good um, point. No, you know, um, all that was true. I don't know if it was a victory lap. Mm. I felt like when we went to a major label, like I had been on an indie label, I had sold, I had my own indie label, I knew how things worked. Um, I had seen a lot of friends of mine go through a cautionary tale of signing to a label and never putting out a record and just getting fucked, the career and the band fucked by it. And that wasn't going to happen to me. Yeah. And uh, I was just, I was, um, you know, yeah, I was. I was clean and sober. Mm -hmm. I clean. I got clean off dope uh, '84, and I got sober in '89. So at this at this point, I'm about, you know, five years clean and sober, and uh, living in Portland. Uh, Got a baby. Uh, Me and my she became my second wife, but my girlfriend mm-hmm. at the time we weren't married yet. We got married in '95. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, when success happens, um, I just felt like the major label gave me an inch, put it 
a new engine in my car, mm. like a real engine. I like that. You know, like I got a rock, I got a rocket engine now, and I got, and and it's not just the money, but the distribution, and also really talented people who know how to work it. You know, from mm-hmm. moder, mo, from marketing and and promotion and and publicity and everything. These people know what the fuck they're doing, and there's plenty of them, and there's enough money so this thing doesn't die from lack of inertia. Mm-hmm. And which happens a lot with indie records, yeah. you know. And so, the, yeah, I was—I I didn't feel like it was a victory lap. I felt like I was just getting started. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I was curious when you were growing up. I mean, were you—you uh, you mentioned punk. Were you a punk kid? I mean, you came out of the gate all tatted up and everything. Were you a skateboarder? But you also mentioned Led Zeppelin. What were you into as a kid? Who made? What Dude, made you who there, you are today? Those, those terms weren't even around when I was mm-hmm. a kid. Mm. All right, skateboarders. Yeah. When I when I was you know twelve, they were still it was still clay wheels. No, you know, the John right. the Jay Adams and the Tony Alves, they were still two or three years away from happening. Which that started happening in like seventy six, seventy seven. So, well, I was curious what so, music yeah. you were into as a kid that sort of shaped you as a man, as a musician. Well, okay, well, you know, I had I had four siblings. I had three sisters and one brother. They're all older than me. I was the baby. And my older sister was into uh, R&B and, and Motown and stuff like that. And, and you know, mm-hmm. and she's 12 years older than me. And then my brother was nine years older than me. And he was totally into, like, whatever was the hardest thing mm-hmm. that was out there. You know, Stones, mm-hmm. Beatles, uh, 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 Zeppelin, Sabbath, um, all that stuff. And then my next sister, Kiki, was was kind of a flower child hippie, became a Jesus hippie mm-hmm. a little later, but she was into, you know, Cat Stevens, Crosby, Stills, Nash mm-hmm. and Young, Neil Young, um, you know, uh, John Prime, stuff like that. And then my youngest mm-hmm. sister, who's five years older than me, was into bubblegum, mm-hmm. bubblegum pop, and uh, AM radio pop. And I grew up in the housing project, so... I I was in love with like everything, mm. but I wanted to, I, I, you know, I wish I was black because <laughs> it one, I could stop getting beat up all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, two, uh, I could join the Jackson five. Ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You gotta remember I was seven in 19, you know, in 1969. Yeah. I pop radio. You know, I wrote a song called Damn Radio. From that experience. The VCR on the DVD, there was a number of that crap back in 1970. We didn't know about a world wide web. was a whole different game being played back when I was a kid. Wanna get down in a cool way? Picture yourself on a beautiful day. Sister's pinto cruising with the windows rolled down. We listen to the radio station. We 
how exciting it was to um, turn on the radio and 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 you have to listen. You have to wait for your song. Mm-hmm. Come on, you have to you have to work for that shit. That you nothing. <laughs> there's no immediate like here. Push uh, a button and play a song. Those days were 50 years away. Think yeah. about it. Oh, I, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. So, I, I've i always... Growing, because, oh, go ahead. You go ahead. I was just finishing your, your question. So growing up like I did, I mean, you know, I had uh, white friends, surfer friends, and rock friends. I got into books. As I got older, Alice Cooper, Bowie, stuff like that. I really loved the glammy stuff. And then and Iggy Pop. And then I got into... Um, you know, in Stooges, and then I got into punk. When when I heard that, I'd been reading about it in Cream Magazine, but I hadn't mm-hmm. heard it until mm-hmm. like late '76, early '77, and I just freaked out on that, and uh, have have never looked back really. And yeah. I still, to this day, love big big rock guitar, and I mm-hmm. love big I love punk rock and and singer songwriters and everything. You know, yeah. a little bit of everything. I was curious because I, I've always thought that you were a guy that was a little difficult to pin down in a way, because the sound out of the gate, you know, heart spark dollar sign and those kinds of songs are really rocking, and you got the tats and you look the part and everything, and then you come out with something like Wonderful, which is you know more of a poppy, but like you were saying, like a bubblegummy sort of pop song, and I th- and I'm always like, who who is art really, you know? But you saying this, I'm realizing you're you're everything. You're everything you want to be, and you're fine with that because you you got your creative control. You're gonna do what you want at the end of the day, right? Pretty much. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, I, I like it all. I like I like. If you listen to Wonderful, I'm singing in a hip hop cadence. Mm-hmm. You know. like an old school hip hop station so it's doing the four but there's a pause in, in the end and and it just that just came naturally and then singing the choruses in a more melodic way which has more of a country feel to it so it's a blend of like the R&B and then the with with the you know it's got like this hypnotic like pro tool groove going on with the, with the, the snare the rolling snare mm-hmm. and uh yeah 
I mean, it was a blend of things. That album, which is a uh, song from American Movie Volume One, we're going to do the 20th anniversary of that this next year, and we're going to play really? the whole album. Nice. Yeah. What about the what Love about the follow up? You going to do the part two too? We'll play we'll play some songs from from Volume Two. Volume Two is not one of my favorite records. Mm. Uh, it sounds tired to me. Mm. That was me being suckered into doing. I wanted to do a double album of about 18 to 20 songs. Mm -hmm. And my manager at the time convinced me to do 25 and do two different albums. And, you know, mm. they, they both did okay. One was platinum, one was gold. But I think if I had cut out some of the Deadwood, I think you would have, uh, it would have been a great double album. It would have I wondered. It would have been, yeah. I think it would have been a better record. Okay. I've always wondered how you felt about those albums because the first one comes out and it does well, but by the time the second one comes out, it's almost like there's some fatigue or something. It doesn't click. And I didn't know if you felt, yeah, I didn't know, but I didn't know if that was, if you were like, guys, this is my grand artistic statement. Why is everyone not flocking to this album? Or if you, like you just said, that second one's not, that's the stuff I wasn't as in love with. You know? Yeah. No, I think there's some good songs on it and some good ideas. But I'm, you know, I mean, I think I could have took two songs off the first record and about four songs off the mm. second and made a fucking great double album. Yeah. Really good double album. Okay. And that would have been, that would have been a great fourth album. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I felt that at the time. And uh, the, the, actually, volume one, originally started as a solo record i wanted oh. to do a solo record hmm. and uh I, I recorded it with different guys and uh it was much more r&b and more of a a groove feel to it uh you know that, that's about you know the, mm -hmm. the whole mezzanine thing and yeah and, and it had more of that kind of feel to it hmm. and uh i uh the, the band heard the songs and, and the label and and my management, all like Shanghai, they, they went uh -huh. to my cabin up at the mountain and begged me, like surprised me up there. I'm like, what the fuck are you guys doing here? This, this is family time. Uh -huh. They're like, we're begging you to make this an Everclear record. And I'm like, I don't want to make it an Everclear record. I, I, I just don't. And, yeah. But I, I acquiesced. I wrote Wonderful and, you know, hmm. it worked out okay. Yeah. But, yeah. um, it, it's weird. I, I I felt, in hindsight, you know, I was doing everything like, you know, these were my records and solo records because they were, but mm -hmm. I was also trying to appease people and make them feel like they were more, more of a part of it than they really were, mm. even when they weren't. And mm. I don't know why I was doing that. I think that's the caregiver in me and the mm. caretaker. Uh, and uh, I wish I had been more of a dickhead dick about it <laughs> right, and, right. and hindsight okay I just said fuck it this is the way it is guys yeah. Tom Petty Tom Petty didn't fuck around I mean he was like nah that's, <laughs> he's this guy this, this, this is what we're doing guys right yeah that's you, true did you ever see his documentary his, oh a couple his, times uh, oh I, I fucking so love it yeah I love, I love when uh, Del Shannon's like or is it Del Shannon who was it is one of those guys he's like don't take Howie. Don't take me. He's my music director. I love you, brother, but I'm taking Howie. <laughs> Stop being giving shit. 
Tom was gonna Tom was gonna do what he wanted to do, and he was gonna do that. And that's how exactly. that was. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I wish I was a little bit more like that. Yeah, I could see that. I was curious. You were, we were talking about sort of the diversity that's in the Everclear sound. Did your fans ever? you know, make it known that they wished you were one thing or the other? Or do you feel like a lot of your fans have been open and, you know, engaged with all of your different, you know, tangents or whatever it is that you want to do? Are they, are, are your fans loving AM radio and wonderful just as much as Santa Monica and Heart Spark dollar sign? Are they along for whatever ride? Some are. Okay. Some are. You know, there, there are definitely those who love Spark One Fade and there are those who love afterglow and uh you know sometimes it, it shakes down into two different camps but then there's those the hardcore like it all they mm -hmm. get it all and uh you know i i want people to be happy i want pe of course i want people to like what i do you want people to like what you write yeah. you know we we want people to like it but at the end of the day i'm gonna do the best job i can by my own estimation and i'm not so far out on the fringe or beyond the pale that it's you know that other people won't like what i like i think mm -hmm. i don't think i'm that unique in my likes and dislikes uh -huh. i think i have a good idea what's good and what's not and what sounds like me and you know i've had a really great career i'm still making music i'm in my late 50s I've been making, I haven't worked a real job since, fuck, long time. <laughs> since 90, 93, 94. Uh huh. Uh, 94. So, yeah, man, I think I'm doing Good. everything right. Good. You know? Good. I mean, yeah. Not the biggest band in the world, but we're definitely not the smallest. No. And, you did uh, all right. Yeah. I did all right. Yeah. I'm still doing all right. Good. Um, I want to ask you specifically about Slow Motion Daydream. That seemed to be kind of the moment. And this is not just you. So many bands, I mean, that's when, you know, Napster is starting to take over. That's when grunge is sort of falling away, but uh, into something different. I really, I've always really liked How to Win Friends and Influence People off that album. Hey gang, let me break in here for a little bit, do some business. Also, I want to give you more of a chance to soak up How to Win Friends and Influence People. I like this song a lot. Um, want to read some new reviews? We got three new reviews on Facebook, or recommendations, I guess, on Facebook this last week. So thank you all those people who took the time. I'm going to read all three. Uh, from Jeanette Martisek, if you are a music nerd who are who is very curious about not only how musicians got their start, but also how they make a living, then this podcast is for you. I always discover new music through the hustle. Two things. First, we love hearing from ladies, because as we know and has have established so often this podcasting world, especially the music podcast world, can be a total sausage party. So thank you, Jeanette, for writing something nice about us. And then also, we really thank you for discovering new music th through the hustle. As I've said many, many times, one of my favorite, one of my favorite feelings to feel in the world is that feeling you get when you hear a song that you like that you haven't thought about in years. And my hope with so many of these episodes is that we're, we play something that elicits that feeling in you. So I hope that, I hope that it does that. Uh, we got another one here from Lars Roman. I hope I'm saying that right, Lars. 
I kind of stumbled upon this podcast a few months ago, listened to a few episodes, and I enjoy it more and more. John does a great job in the interviews. Keep it coming. I would enjoy listening to more people on the European music scene, including from Sweden, since I am Swedish. That is a great idea. I, uh, you know, I think about that a lot, actually, because as everyone notices, my musical tastes are so British, you know? I love so many British artists, and so that's just naturally where I go, because those are the bands I like. And I try to, I, I try to, I never think about where anyone's from, to be honest, but I hear from so many Australians and so many Canadians that they wish we had more people from their place, from their country on the show, and I always think, man, I never think about that. I need to go seek them out. I have done that, by the way. I'm, there's a few people, well, I'm always trying to get someone from NXS, and it just never happens. I also reached out to John Stevens recently from Noiseworks. I'm saying this for the for those passionate Australians out there who uh, are kind of always on me about getting other people on. I reached out to him recently. I thought he would be great. I haven't heard back. Um, and then there's always Canadians too. So anyway, hoping to, as always, kind of fill, fill those quotas and help you guys feel loved and paid attention to. Uh, thank you, by the way, Lars, for that. I'll, I'll have to think about who some Swedish... Uh, guests would be. Maybe send us some recommendations. And then thirdly, we got one from our good friend Dave Peterson. We love Dave. Essential listening for all true music lovers. John is a true fan and lovingly shines the spotlight on all your favorite and maybe some forgotten artists of yesteryear. Appointment listening every Tuesday. Thanks, Dave. I love you, buddy. Uh, Let's see. I hope everyone got a chance to listen to that Tom Kiefer interview from last week. As I mentioned before, I love Cinderella. I was not a hair metal guy back in the day, and I love that stuff now. And Cinderella is one of the best who did that kind of music. And so I have been really fascinated with Tom for years. And I've been trying to make this happen for a long time. It finally happened, but he only had 25 minutes to talk. So I did the best I could with what I had. Um, They insisted on calling me, which means I don't get to call them through the computer, which means using Skype and a microphone. So the sound is not as good as I'd like it to be. I had to use that tape call app on my phone. In fact, I did the interview on my lunch hour in my car from at work. So that's what that was. But anyway, it turned out pretty good. I mean, when you have that little time, you try to cover as much ground as you can. And uh, I didn't get to go too deep on some things that I wanted to, but you know, we did the best we could. So if you like Cinderella and you like Tom, go back. That was last week. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, I want to mention, of course, if you want to support the show, you can always get on Amazon and buy a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or a pop socket or whatever else is in that store. Just go into Amazon and type in the Hustle Podcast merch or shirts or whatever. I think that's what you do and you find them. They're all there. I haven't looked in a long time except when we buy gifts for other people. So anyway, if you want one and you want to support the show, please go in there and do that. I think that's about it. I didn't have a ton of other business to get to this week. Um, no big, no big nose. Oh, well, I'll tell you one. Um, and I've tried her before Nina Pearson from, uh, the cardigans. I try her every now and then, and I keep getting turned down and the, and the guy, whoever the, it's always the publicist, the publicist said, you know, until we have something to talk about, the answer is no. And, but the cardigans are not the most active band in the world. So it's like, well, when's that going to be, you know? How about now? How about just talking? Who cares? I'm just going to love you for an hour. So anyway, that one didn't work. didn't happen. I wish it would. Um, I think that's the only one. I've got some good ones coming up uh, that I'm pretty excited about. 
And uh, I think they're probably going to run next year. So we're going to kick off January with a bang, with some really good guests, I believe. Anyway, all right, we will get back to art. But I know that it sort of underperformed. And I wonder if when that was happening, were you conscious of the fact that I think the, t the cultural tides might be changing here? I don't, our big moment might be over. We're going to have to continue kind of, you know, at a new level. Were you thinking that way or am I, you know, projecting something? Well, I wasn't thinking that way while I was making that record. No, no, but here's, when it came out. Here's, here's what happened with that record. I didn't want to make a rock record. Mm. I just didn't want to make a rock record. I wanted to make like a, like Nebraska or like Sun Ooh, Songs or something really? like that. That's okay. what I wanted to do. And, but Craig and Greg wanted to make a rock record. And right at that time, Roy Lott, who had replaced Gary Gersh as president of Capitol, got fired and they hired Andy Slater. Andy Slater came in. Andy Slater did not like Everclear. Mm. Was really open about that. Don't like Everclear, um, even though we're one of the best selling bands yeah. on the list. And uh, Foo Fighters went away when uh, Gersh left because they had a key man clause. Mm -hmm. So and he brought in my my A and R guy left because he didn't like Andy. No one liked Andy mm -hmm. except for the people that he brought in. And Andy was trying to make right. uh, Capital into a hip new. You know, he signed the binds. And, you know, he's trying to make it hip and, yeah. and happening. I I made that record. I I. I, I wanted to mix it with certain people, but they weren't available. So I ended up mixing it with a guy who did like Three Doors Down and, mm. and more rock. And, and I think it came out good, but not my favorite record. Probably my least favorite record. Really? Any of the Everclear record. Huh, interesting. Um, yeah, that, that and volume, uh, volume two. Okay. Because um, my heart really wasn't into it. I, it was all balls and ego. Like, yeah. okay, I can make a fucking record even when I don't want to. Yeah. You know, it's like having sex when you're really not <laughs> wanting to have sex. Right. You know, you figure as a man, you're supposed to do this, so you do it, and then fuck yeah. that. And, yeah. um, and that's the last time I did that. And, uh, and Andy Slater and me got into arguments over the phone of what the first single should be. And when, uh, when uh, Bobo Drive and Chuck Mom came out, they didn't even put it out for ads. It got no ads. Mm. The first time in the history of Everclare that no radio station picked it You know I used to be a bad girl. I got busy in the bathroom at my high school prom. Yeah, I used to be a dancer at the local strip club. But now I know my bride.
I go, okay, well, can you show us, um, you know, like how much money you spent on sending this out? And, you know, they, 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 every time they would work a single, they would show you what they did. There was this whole Bible of, mm-hmm. of this, this thing. And they're like, no, we're not going to show you that. And, you know, so that was the end of that. They were basically saying, fuck you, quit. Yeah. Um, and then they, uh, and then they later in the year, um, basically dropped us in 2004. But as they dropped us, they asked me to put together a, a, a greatest hit. You so did I, that? You controlled that? Yeah. Of, of, of the first one, which was uh, 10 Years Gone. Yeah. A little, you know, that's a little, that's a little uh, homage to, to, to Zeppelin there. 10 years I wondered. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but I mean, we were there from '94 to 2004, and uh, yeah, I put that together, artwork and everything. Hmm. And then uh, in '96, uh, or excuse me, in 2006, we put out a song, an album called "Welcome to the Drama Club," and Andy Slater was there, and he was failing and not doing well. And on the same day that we put out our independent record. They put out another greatest hit at a, mm. at, at a what they call a bargain cut, cut as yeah like five ninety nine CD, mm-hmm. you know. So to fuck, <laughs> labels would do that to fuck the people's sales. Ugh, and, doesn't uh, make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but but yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I saw that that music was changing, and you mm-hmm. know, I didn't want to get into new metal. That wasn't my thing. Right. And uh, I just, and, you know, within, I remember we did a college store in 2006, and we used to be a huge college band, you know, three, four years, five years earlier. Yeah. And by 2006, those kids didn't even know who the fuck we were. Right. Yeah. You know, I could see that. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. And that was, that was, that was the semi bittersweet wake up call for me. I'm just like, okay, this mm-hmm. is the way shit is. That's yeah. cool. And yeah. uh, and then from then on, it was just like, I realized we were a heritage band. Right. And that was the way that That doesn't mean I was going to stop putting out records. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't write for a while after that record. It took me a while before I wrote the album Invisible Stars. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, Black is the New Black came out. You know, I, I made that. And I just, and, and by that time, I was just, I didn't care. I just wanted to make a great rock and roll record. Yeah. And I got the money to do it, and it didn't cost me anything, and it sold enough records that the label was happy, and they wanted to, they put out my solo record. And, Good. you know, and it super served the fans who like the music. And, Good. Um, I, that's that's why we make music. At yeah. The end of the day, it's not, yeah. You know, I was, I was part of the, I was part of that old school label thing where money was shooting out of the fucking ground, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I got caught up in the cycle of touring, writing, recording, touring, writing, recording. You know, that that whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And uh, it was fun. It was fun for a while. Yeah. It became a grind after a while. And I I'm really happy. I'm really happy to be in a place where 
when I made Sun Song, I did, you know, and, and, and actually, every record since uh, <clears throat> Slow Motion Daydream, I just do exactly what I want to do. Good, good for I'm you, not man. Anybody. It's just fun. I'm yeah. just having fun. If it ain't fun, I don't want to do it. Yeah. That's why doing this record like this, like doing Sun Song, just acoustic, and just me and one other guy in the studio, that sounded fun because it was different mm -hmm. than anything I had done before. Yeah. And uh, that that sounded fun. Like Very if cool. I ever made another Everclay record, I think the only thing that would be fun would be to like record 10 songs in 10 days, mm. mixed and everything. Yeah. You know, just, uh, just find, you know, like yeah. hook up a, 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 a 16 track, two inch tape and record to it and uh, mix it up that night, you know, and that'd be that's cool. It. That's it. Yeah. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Cool. Like, um, like a power pop record. That'd yeah, that'd be great. You'd be good at that. Um, okay. Let me, let me ask you a couple more questions and I'll let you go. One is, first of all, I've always wondered why on that greatest hits album, now that I know you did it, why did you leave off heart spark and one hit wonder? I'm looking at it. I'm even reading the review. No. Yeah. The missing hits are Heart Spark Dollar Sign, One Hit Wonder, and Out of My Depth. Well, they, they weren't hit. They were singles. Yeah, true. They, they weren't hit. Now, now Heart Spark Dollar Sign got to 15 on the, on the alternative chart. So it got mm -hmm. top 20. I think 13, actually. Okay. Lucky 13. Yeah, no, yeah, fourteen and fifteen, because because uh, heroin girl got to twelve. Wow, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. I, I don't know. It seemed like it seemed. I I, I felt like I knew <laughs> I knew they wanted two more songs. Like we, I had to put two songs that were had been unreleased on there, and uh, you know I put as many. There's a lot of fucking songs on that. Record. Oh, it's How many great. Songs are on that record. Twenty one. How many that's what, 21. 21. That's, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like we're so close to the definitive Everclear, you know, hits album. And uh, there's just a couple of things missing. And now that I know you did it, I've thought, what was what was Art thinking? Why did you do that? But anyway, it sounds like an honest mistake. Okay. I, well, I, I, <laughs> I, 
I don't know that I'd put one hit wonder on there, but I would have definitely. I I think Hard Spark Dollar Sign is a pretty complete song. Oh yeah, I'm really surprised that that's not on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay. Well, um, well, I fucked that up. Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> well, I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm here to ask these questions. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. One other thing, and I hope this is I, as we've established here. Sometimes my memory is good. Sometimes it's not. The last time. I really remember seeing you on TV. Do I have this right? Did you go on the O'Reilly Factor and argue with Bill O'Reilly about a video or something of yours that was getting some uh, controversy? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a video. It was a video for a song called um, Peter. I don't like the way that you talk to me when you tell me how it's gonna be. And I don't like the way that you smile at me When you tell me what is wrong with me Sometimes I wish you'd go away Go away and never ever come back I don't like the mean and vindictive things you do It makes me wanna hate on you Yeah, it's got me video for it and uh it basically was like you know like if if there was a jesus uh it was a hipster hater haters another word for hipsters mm-hmm. in portland everybody calls them all oh, the fucking haters are over there because they hate every the hipsters hate everything that's what people would call them and so i uh we we did this video in one day in portland just gorilla man for like mm-hmm. 10 grand and just running around and uh it it was it came out pretty cool and uh it was about if jesus was had all the powers of being jesus but he was bad jesus he was a hater <laughs> jesus and and man the right wing got fucking crazy and then two years after that i put out a single for free just for downloads during the election year of 2008 uh, called uh, Jesus was a Democrat. Yeah.
Yeah, I thought. Well, I think boy, this is, I think I was in a hotel room or something, and I remember turning on the TV. I don't watch Fox News. No offense to anybody out there, but um, for I maybe I don't remember why it was on, but I was like, "Is Art talking to Bill O'Reilly? That doesn't make any sense. Why is he on there? <laughs> that was so weird." Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty fucking weird. It yeah, was pretty weird, and it was one of those things where they had a backdrop of Portland. And I'm talking, I got this voice in my ear. And, you know, of course, Fox News, they always double up and they put someone else on there that you don't see coming, some right-wing guy from, you know, the family values, whatever. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, well, obviously, this young man is going to hell. I'm like, well, for one thing, Ace, I'm probably older than you are. And uh, that's not going to make me go to hell. Uh, but trust me, if I'm going to hell, I'm going there already. Right. So this is, oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. And I remember saying, this is just going to get me a better seat by the pool. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I think if I remember correctly, did you say something about, um, and I don't, I'm not trying to get too political or anti anything like that, but I remember you saying that you had been, you regretted, I think you've given your mom a lot of money over the years and she has donated a lot of the money you've given her to churches or, or her church or something like that. And you had kind of an issue with that. Tell, tell I am the evangelist. Well, yeah. if you if you do any reading about the televangelism movement mm-hmm. of the 70s and the 80s and 90s, you'll see that they are predators, but prey specifically on older people, older women specifically, mm-hmm. older white women and black women mm-hmm. and, and Hispanic women as well. But, you know, they go after these women who are on fixed income. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was taking care of my mom from the time that I started having money. I was like paying her rent and I, I and bought her a car and mm-hmm. she needed money. I, she got money. I was like, you don't have to ask for it. I set up a fund that would just start feeding her money every, every month. Right. And, and then, you know, I, I remember going over to her house with my daughter and, and she's like, yeah, I, I need to, I need to get this fixed on my car, but I'm not going to have the money until my check comes in. I go, what are you talking about? I give you like a grand a month. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? She goes, yeah, but I give that, I give that, uh, to, to uh, you know, all these super right wing oh, no. churches. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no, no, this is for you. Yeah. Well, that's what I want to do with it. I go, but it's not for that. It's for you. You want to, you always wanted to go to Israel. I figured you'd save it up and mm-hmm. go to Israel with a friend of yours or, or, or something mm-hmm. or a sister and, you know, do that. And I'm just like, yeah. And I remember, yeah, I was probably just about that because I was just saying, I mean, yeah. look, I, I think the whole idea of spirituality is great. You want to believe mm-hmm. in the teachings of Jesus Christ? I'm right there with you. 
mm-hmm. right there with you. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you take it away from the spiritual aspect and you put it into organized religion and mm-hmm. tax exemption and and uh, people buying, you know, uh, these mega churches buying mm-hmm. multiple jets so their uh, their pastors can get around on multiple airstreams. Get the yeah. fuck out of here. <clears throat> right. I'm sorry. No, it's true. Can I cuss on your show? I hope so. Cause you, you've done it a lot, so you're fine. Believe me, you're good. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. That's what we love about art. Don't apologize. Yeah, I'm with you. I and am. It's, that would be, and again, I am Yes. And I, and again, I, I feel like you do, and this is not, I'm not bagging on anyone's belief system or political system or whatever, but I did think that, man, if I were giving my folks money every month and I found out that that's what they were giving it to, I would have a problem with that too. So anyway, I've just always, that's stuck in my mind from that day and I've always wondered about it. Um, okay. Two yeah, more questions. And it wasn't, oh, go it, ahead. It, it wasn't just, it wasn't just about that. It was about that she was not taking care of herself the way she yeah. should. And my mom's always done that. My mom would give me food off her plate. She would give you know, she would give people stuff off, off her back that, mm-hmm. that, you know, the shirt off her back and go without. And I didn't want her to do that in her mm-hmm. later years. I wanted her to just enjoy life, yeah. you know, yeah. and just not worry about that. And if she came to me and said, I really want to give some money to these people, I might've given her some money. I probably mm-hmm. would have. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't saying no to my mom at this point, but, right. uh, you know, anyway. Yeah, okay, I get it. Um, okay, last two questions. Number one, I'm really curious about, you mentioned the Summerland festivals you guys do. It feels to me like 80s nostalgia is alive and well and very vibrant and probably profitable. I don't know if 90s nostalgia is in the same boat. You would know better than me. Do you find, I mean, I assume that's probably where your primary touring and revenue stream is coming from these days is probably playing 90s like festivals and you're better off than well, bands like eve six or marcy's playground or something because you had a bunch of hits but is that sort of where you find yourself these days for the most part well dude if, if you look you see that i started a tour like seven years ago called the, the summerland tour yeah which is exactly that yeah and all those those bands that you have just mentioned have played with me a couple of times yeah and uh as as have other bands and uh you know it just goes with my whole axiom and and belief that you know we're stronger together we're bigger as a you know as as the sum of all our parts together we're bigger together and you're giving a lot of 90s hit to people want to hear that Mm -hmm. and that's what it's being sold as and that's fine but really at the end of the day these are all working bands so mm-hmm. these are all touring bands they're still making music and they're out there doing it these aren't bands they're waiting for their royalty checks and mm-hmm. playing golf and and foosball you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and 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 you know uh drinking you know trying to lose weight and <laughs> and these guys these are real fucking rock and rollers who yeah. are out there still yeah. chasing the carrot yeah and, and that that's what i am and that's what i want to be around so good okay yeah there, there's some nostalgia there that i think some nostalgia is healthy to a certain oh absolutely it's the best i i'm a total sucker for the, i don't think a summerland festival has ever come near me or else i would be there in a second but that's what I, we kind of touch on sensitively some of the business side on here and i'm just curious is that are you finding that 
the 90s nostalgia circuit is alive and well and Summerland's a really successful endeavor and you guys are able to draw a big crowd when you go out? Well, no. Yes and no. Okay. Okay. The 90s thing is, is bigger than it's ever been. We're getting okay. more play and recurrence than we have ever been played since, you know, not, not counting when we were actually back in the day. Mm-hmm. But as far as since we've been a heritage band, yeah, a, a lot of 90s bands are getting these things. As far as touring goes, touring overall has taken such a hit mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. And I've seen a steady decline. We still mm-hmm. go out with Summerland or with packages like this next year. We're not, we won't do a Summerland, but it'll be a, maybe a Summerland Presents uh, Everclear 20th anniversary tour. You know? Nice. And... Yeah. And there'll be a couple of 90s bands mm-hmm. with us, for sure. Great. And, you know, people like it. I like it. I like these bands. I, we, we've known these people for a long time. It's fun to go out. And we do. We go out and we do pretty well. We do anywhere from 800 to 1500 a night. And good. these days, that's pretty fucking good at 40, yeah. 50 bucks a pot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, promoters like it. Good. It's not the biggest thing. They don't make huge money, but they don't lose huge money. Good. And and they and they sell a lot of alcohol. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> that's that's where they make you know, the money. That's, that's the fiscal reality of it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. we're all our, our we pull out a, a older demographic who have disposable income, and we sell a lot of merch, sell a lot of VIPs. Uh, we super serve our fans, and we have a great time. Good. And we. We make money for promoters, so we, we have a career. Great. And, Good. Uh, That's what I want to know. All, all my guys that work for me, all none of them have day jobs. Mm. They all work doing this, and uh, that's good. Right on. That's what yeah. I wanted to know. Um, okay, last question. I usually close out a lot of these uh, interviews this way. You mentioned Mick Jagger earlier. I know that you love music, and uh, I bet you have a million stories and I'm not talking about, you know, crazy R-rated stories. I just mean in general, getting to meet somebody or hang out with someone or jam with someone or whatever. When you sit back and you think, I can't believe this happened to me, what is your tastiest memory? My tastiest memory? Yeah. Yeah, man, you put me on the spot. Well, I've already given you some, given you some good ones. Yeah. Um, you mean with like, with like famous people? Well, just like when you sit, are you like, I cannot believe... That happened to little old Art. I cannot believe what just happened to me. What are some of those moments? Well, I can think of one. Okay. So, in at Christmas of, of 95, going into 96, uh, Sparkle and Fade was starting to climb the charts. Uh, Santa Monica had came out and kind of diminished and then came back again and was climbing the charts. And then on Christmas Day, our, uh, our album got added to Buzzbin. Remember Buzzbin mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff? Uh, and uh, but we didn't find out our sales for two weeks. Mm-hmm. But about a week or two before Christmas, I got a call, or about a month before Christmas, I got a call from Les Claypool. Oh, uh, no way. I, yeah. And he's like, hey, man, I heard that, her- I heard that heroin girls are, man. They're rocking the song. Like it a lot. <laughs> wanted to know if you wanted to play a show with us. We're going to do a show at the Oakland Coliseum, you know. And he's like, and, and dude, he didn't know it until I told him, but 
I lived in San Francisco for five years. Uh-huh. I used to see them play at the the I Beam, which isn't there anymore, because mm-hmm. I lived right behind the, the I Beam, and everyone would come over and get drunk at my house <laughs> and eat food, and then we'd go around and and get in try to sneak into the I Beam. Nice. And uh, I told him all those stories, and uh, yeah, and he asked me to us to open up for that, and it was us, and then Tool, and then uh. him, and then Primus, and him calling me was a big deal. Yeah, uh, that was a big deal. And playing that show was a big deal. And then two days after playing that show, we got our sales, and we had uh, we had sold like. 50,000 records in one week. No We'd way. We've gone from like 7,000 <laughs> records to 50,000 records because of the video play. Right on. MTV. And it was just like, in two weeks after that, my, my A&R guy goes, hey man, you got a gold record. We're going to ship gold in like about three weeks nice. for sure. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome. And yeah. then about a month after that, he goes, dude, you, you, you got a platinum record. You're going to ship it. And um, they set us up this this uh, this uh, at this restaurant in Venice in Venice um, for our platinum record party, and all these famous people are there, and there's a red carpet, and I flew my mom down for it, mm. and she's in the limousine with me and my wife, and she's like, "So what is the platinum record party?" I go, "Mom, it means I've sold a million records." Mm-hmm. And my mom's like a hillbilly. Mm-hmm. She's like that, and that's good. And I go, yeah, that's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty good, pretty oh, good. Okay. And yeah. they open the door, and there's paparazzi and all these people. And my mom's wearing this fancy dress I bought her, and my wife had taken her to get fitted for it. And she goes, "Holy shit, boy, is this all for you?" And I go, "Yep, that's for me, mom." And there's like fans and paparazzi and the red carpet you know all this so stuff cool. she goes so you've done good I go, yeah mama <laughs> yeah I sold a million records and, and then some that's yeah. great yeah good for and, you and man just her just her getting seeing that yeah. and understanding that and that's when she became the biggest Everclare fan in the world but up until then she didn't really get it you know? <laughs> I get it. Uh, absolutely. That is a fantastic story. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. By the way, the first song I ever illegally downloaded was Santa Monica. And this was pre-Napster. I'm, I hate to tell you this, but you remember, I don't know if you remember, but back then it was like on these dark web, different websites, and it would take like hours and hours to, you had to find yeah. for one song. The first one I ever did was Santa Monica. I was like, wow, I, it only took it, six hours later and I got it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> six hours later. Yeah. Gun, 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 That's gun, it. Gun, <laughs> That's it. <laughs> anyway, well, good. Awesome. You made it. You made it, Art. Thank you so much for being you. I am, uh, I, I just, I love you. And I'm so grateful for all you've put in the world. Thanks for being you, Art. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for All right, there you have it. Art Alexakis. There is just no one else quite like Art. You know what I mean? Love that guy. I want to close it out with one more song from the Sun Stories album. This is California Blood. If you like this kind of stuff, his more acoustic-y stuff, 
Go check out that album. It's great. Uh, now, this completes our three weeks in a row of 90s artists. Next week, we are talking to one of the... I mean, he's really a punk rock godfather. Uh, an American punk rock godfather. He's not Iggy. I wish he was Iggy. But, um, you know, he may have played with Iggy. So, anyway, you're going to want to come back, I think, next week to hear who this is. Uh, a one-of-a-kind personality. I probably just gave away who it is. But, anyway, I think you're going to enjoy this one. So, if you like punk rock, come back next week because it's a classic. Um, now, a huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Jan the Man Malkiewicz. Thanks for all that you do, buddy. Uh, you guys know how to find us by now. You can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there, or you can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod, okay? We put out new episodes every Tuesday, and there may be a deep dive coming up later this week. We'll see. Thanks, everybody. He is never known He was a hungry man